good morning. I'm glad to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're here. I'm excited that I get to start this series with you uh, in November. Um, most of us have asked these types of questions. We've asked, who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Those are the kind of questions we ask. And on some level, we all want to know the answer to those questions. That's just kind of how we're wired. It's not just uh, a random question. It's kind of a human thing. We have a desire to know. We're all searching for the answers to those questions, especially this big one, who am I? We have to know that. We want to know that. We have a desire to know that. But before we can get to the answer to that question, there's another question we need to answer first, and that's the question of where are you looking? So where are you looking to answer that specific question? Because one place that we might be looking is kind of the world out here around us. What are all the other people around us saying, and what does the world say about who we are, why we're here? You also may be looking inside yourself and saying, okay, what does my heart tell me? What, am I, what do I think that answer is? Why am I here? What, uh, what is my purpose in life? So sometimes we look out there, sometimes we look in here, but perhaps the best place to answer that question doesn't actually lie with me. Maybe that's not the best place for me to look for the answer to that question. And here's why I say that, because a designer gets to determine what is designed and what is behind that design and what that design is for, what it's going to be used for, meaning the designer is the one who gets to choose and to determine how their design is going to be used. In other words, uh, Mr. Dyson, he gets to decide what this is going to be used for, right? Because he designed it. It's his. It, it's kind of, if I decide that I need a sledgehammer and I choose that I'm going to use this as a sledgehammer, well, I, I can do that, right? But I, the, the warranty is going to be void for sure because it's used in a way that's not designed for it to be used, right? And so uh, here, here's another. It, so it, it works with that, but it also works with this speaker right here. So this speaker, if I want to know how best this can be used, then I need to look to the engineer who designed it. And I need to see what is his plan behind this? What does he think about this? Because if it's going to perform the way it needs to, I, I need to use it the way he designed it. So I'm probably not going to go to the speaker, and I'm probably not going to say, hey, speaker, what do you feel like your purpose is, right? I'm not going to ask that, because what if he says, uh, the speaker said to me, well, I feel like I want to be a mushroom. Um, well, that's not going to work out so well, because that's not what it was designed to do. He's going to be very disappointed in the long run, because it just doesn't work that way. And so if, if, if it's true that, um, that we don't really go to what someone else says that something can be used for, and we don't really go to the item itself to see and ask what its purpose is, if we can agree with that when we're talking about a sticker or if we're talking about some home good items, if we can agree with that, then why is it that there is such pushback when it comes to humanity? Why is it that we push back so hard and, and so with such force when it comes to 
who gets to determine what this design is for and what it's all about, what the purpose is when it comes to all of us. And when we're answering questions like that, why am I here? What is my purpose? Uh, uh, Who am I? When we're answering those questions, we we don't accept that just anybody can decide what it's for, and we don't accept that it can decide what itself is for. So why is it that humans continually look inside of themselves for the answer to a question that can really only be answered by the designer? Now, since you're here this morning, um, and since you know that this is a Christ-following church, there's a good chance that you might believe that you're not here by accident, that you're not just kind of a cosmic happenstance, that we believe that if there is a designer and everything uh, about that design, since this is a Christ-following church, we believe that, that ultimately God is the designer. He's the designer of humanity. I believe that's what all Scripture kind of tells us and teaches us. And so if that's the case, then Scripture unpacks that, that, that God is the owner, he's the designer, then I believe that we can say with some authority, based upon Scripture, we can say with some authority that Christianity has the key to answer this age-old question of why am I here, who am I, uh, what is my purpose in life? Now, God's Scriptures are filled with metaphors. It gives us examples like um, to help us understand things of God and uh, things of his creation. And I love the metaphor that we're going to be using today. I absolutely love it because on my artsy-fartsy side, it's going to push a lot of those buttons. Um, The Old Covenant prophet Isaiah gives us a clue into this metaphor that we're going to be using today. Isaiah 64, verse 8. Let me read this to you. Uh, Jacob will have it on the screen. It says, And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you're the potter, and we are all formed by your hand. So Isaiah is clearly saying, God's the potter, and he is working the clay of his creation. He's the potter and I'm just simply the clay. We are his workmanship. We are, uh, we are his living and his breathing masterpiece. Now, he is uh, sovereign. In that sovereignty, he has decided, he made a choice not to force us to obey him, not to force us to conform to his design uh, standards and uh, his design purpose and intent. In other words, if I want to use my life as a sledgehammer when it was meant to be something else, he's probably going to let me do it. Now, that might explain some of the things that we feel and some of the things that we see as we look around uh, and we just look around our town as we uh, listen to the news, 
it, some of the things that we feel it, we it, when we look around it, it it seems to me that this world is very quickly kind of on a, a collision course with disaster. Now, to explain some of the things that we feel about what we see when we look around us today, in order to to determine what's happening in 2023, we're actually going to jump way back about 2,600-ish years ago, and we're going to be looking at a passage in the Old Covenant. Um, But before we get to that passage, I want to jump back just about 2,000 years ago first, and I want to read something because sometimes we think about the Old Covenant and we think, well, that's the Old Covenant. It has no bearing at all on us today. And so I just want to give you a little reason why there is some bearing there, why we should pay attention to that. And so uh, a guy speaking to the church in Corinth, and this is in the first century, and his name was Paul. He was doing the speaking. Uh, Corinth was a town that was really, uh, really pretty bad off. Um, They were very indulgent. They were living life uh, in excess, there was a lot of lewdness, and even by pagan standards of that day, they looked at Corinth and they're like, "Wow, these folks are out there." <laughs> and now Paul is speaking to people who came together and formed the church in Corinth, and Paul is talking to them because some of these characteristics in the larger part of Corinth were beginning to slip into the church, into the lives of the people in the church. And Paul wants them to understand, hey, this is not a good idea, but he's wanting them to understand from history. And so Paul points them back to the Old Covenant and to the Jews uh, who were following the Old Covenant. And he points back to them in history, and he says, listen, they failed, and they failed, and they failed, and they failed. And God responded to them with such patience and such care and such kindness until a point, and then he got really harsh. And here's what Paul has to say to remind them, hey, we need to pay attention to what happened to them way back then. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, these things happened to them, who them being those old covenant Hebrews, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age, meaning what happened to them, it could happen to us. We need to learn from that lesson. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be jumping in to the old covenant this morning with this metaphor, and we're going to be Uh, learning with that being an example for us today. So about 2,600 years ago, so that's going to make it around 600 BC, God raised up a prophet, and his name was Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah had one of the more difficult jobs way back then as a prophet because it was a thankless job. Um, He was called to deliver a message from God to the Israelites, but the people did not want to hear the message. They would not listen to him. And in fact, they actually treated him really, really badly, and and they tried to kill him on several occasions. Not a great job to have. Um, And so he says, listen, 
And he was begging, begging them, begging them, please, please, just come back to God, listen to God, follow God. And he says, if you don't, God is going to deal with that. He says, God is going to hand us as a nation over to another country, and they will rule over us if we don't. So, you know, just flashing back to what Isaiah said, Isaiah was describing how God is the potter and how we are the clay. And so now Jeremiah is getting ready to talk about the clay as well. And he's getting ready to say that, hey, Israel, yeah, you're clay, but you're more like this clay. You're hard, brittle clay. That's kind of what he's going to be saying. And so let's get uh, into that scripture where Jeremiah says that God is looking for clay that is soft to the touch. I want to touch this, but it'll get clay all over me. So I want you to hear it. That's soft to the touch. Big difference. (laughs) I don't know if you could hear it. All right. Got it? And he says, I want it. I want your life to be soft to the touch. And here's what Jeremiah says. He says over and over again, he said he's giving the Israelites this message. And in Jeremiah 17, 23, he says, yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but they stiffened their neck that they may not hear and receive the instruction. In In other words, they stiffened their necks. They were like this stiff, brittle clay, okay? He said they were making a choice to want to live that way. Now, they're going along with their crunchy, brittle hearts, and Jeremiah says he wants your life to be soft and pliable. Now, God tells Jeremiah to head off and God is going to build this metaphor that began with Isaiah and is now going to continue with Jeremiah. And here's what that metaphor looks like. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. Now, every town had a potter's shop because they were important. Um, they needed, they needed, it was a needed I did as he told me, and I found the potter working the wheel. Now, I don't have a wheel here because I'm not a potter, but he most definitely, when he showed up in the potter shop, he saw clay. It was there because that is all that the potter worked with. There was a lump of clay because that's what a potter uses. Now, with that lump of clay, um, there was also probably some hard clay as well, like this. There was some hard clay, and the potter really can't do anything with the hard clay. So with the hard clay, the potter is probably just going to set it off to the side. He's not going to really use it for anything. Um, What he's looking for, the potter is looking for, is this, this soft clay. All right? So Jeremiah shows up, and he sees that, and any potter who's ever done anything with pottery is only going to work with something that is soft, with soft clay. When the clay is soft, it's pliable, 
the potter can take it and he can create something useful, something beautiful. If he chose, he could create his masterpiece. And when it comes to answering the questions, who am I and why am I here? What's it all about? Well, that question really, if it's going to be a, something the potter's going to make, it can only be answered by the potter. The vessel cannot answer that question. Only the potter can. Usable clay, uh, in order to get it to this state, um, it has to be worked. It, it doesn't just come out of the clay pit ready to use. The, the potter has to grab that clay, and he's got like, to work it, and much more than like kneading bread. It almost, looks like, um, it almost looks like a loaf of bread, right? More than that. It's got to be worked. Um, they actually take it. They kind of beat it against the ground. They're working out all the uh, air bubbles. They're working out all the impurities. And so they, they get that to a soft state where it's usable. And in order to do that, there's a, a lot of activity that happens, um, a lot of work. Uh, but the result is clay like this that is soft usable. It's ready to accept and receive the potter's hands. It's ready, okay? In the potter's hands, he can now choose to make a masterpiece. Now, the same is not true for this. This clay is, it's rigid. It's, it's stiff. Um, it's the very same substance, the very same substance. In fact, it may have even come out of the, the very same clay pit very possibly. Same substance, same clay pit. The same potter is touching it with his hands, right? Same thing. But it's going to have a very different response. This clay will respond in every hands, where this clay, in this state, it never will. It won't. It can't. The most this clay can do is break, shatter, and crumble. That's about it. That's about it. But it's still clay, and it's still valuable. So the potter is not going to throw it away. I mean, they, yeah, they had to work hard to get their clay. So while he can't use it right now, he's not going to throw it away. He's going to keep it. But, you know, um. Even being set aside, he's not going to throw it away because eventually he could choose to use it. But this clay needs something. If this clay is going to be used, this clay needs something desperately. It needs something that's going to make it soft, something that can make it pliable again. This clay needs, anybody know? Water, yeah. It needs water, and it needs a lot of it, but that's all it needs. You give this clay a lot of water, and this clay is going to become soft once again. Now, just think about my own life, and you think about your life. When I am not daily following Jesus, who describes himself, we talked about this earlier this year, as the living water, yeah. And when I'm not daily following Jesus, my influence, then my life slowly 
over the course of time, it usually doesn't happen overnight, does it? Over the course of time, over weeks and months, maybe years, my life becomes like becomes dried out, it becomes rigid, and in the master's hands, it becomes unusable, and he sets it aside. Yeah. But when I allow God's Spirit to be my guide, when I allow God's Spirit to be my influence, when I am, when I am uh, allowing the living water to penetrate my life, well, that's a very different story because then my life stays soft and pliable. All the difference is God's living water in my life, and here the difference is just water. This, this, this probably needs to actually soak in water for a couple days, but it's going to become pliable once again. Now, Jeremiah was at the potter's shed, and he was watching the potter work, and he took the clay, and he would have seen him take the clay, and he would have uh, thrown it down really hard onto the wheel. Now, the wheel uh, in a potter shop, certainly back then, was controlled by the potter's foot. Uh, so there was another. There was a wheel, an axle, and a wheel. And he would spin the bottom wheel with his foot. It would turn the top wheel at the same time, and that's how he controlled the wheel, which had the clay on it. And so the potter was in complete control of what was happening as he was creating what he was going to create. And, the, and that means the potter was in the process of determining what this was going to become because he's the designer, right? He gets to decide. And here's the thing, though. When a potter throws down that clay, if it's not perfectly centered on the wheel, then it's not going to go right. If it's just a little bit off-center, it can still, it could have a good start. As he uh, has it, and it's a little off-center, as he presses his hands down into the clay and he begins to draw them up, something's going to begin to emerge, a, a vessel, uh, a pot, something is going to emerge. It's going to happen. But eventually, if it's not perfectly centered, eventually, as that uh, vessel gets taller it is going to collapse because it's off-center. So the potter has to make sure it's centered. Now, very clearly, uh, Jeremiah was observing this potter at work. And as the potter was bringing up the vessel, something happened. Something didn't go right. We don't know if it was off-center. We're, we're not sure what it was. Something didn't go right. And the vessel collapsed. The vessel ripped. The vessel was torn. And here's what Jeremiah then experiences. This is, uh, this is what happened, Jeremiah 18, verse 4 now. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he hoped. In other words, it collapsed. It, it ripped. It was torn. It was not usable. So here's what happened. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again, and he started 
over. See, it, it wasn't just right. Something went wrong. It wasn't what he wanted. And you don't have, you know, uh, with this wobbledy, kind of ripped up, torn up, the potter doesn't stop and say, oh, well, that'll do. That's close enough. I mean, if it's, if it's me, maybe if it's you, I, I, I'm not sure, but if it's me, I'm, kinda, uh, I'm, I'm just going to say, oh, well, I mean, it's close enough, right? Have you ever said, that'll do, nail it? right? That's, that's what we say in Stuttgart anyway. I don't know if we say it in Malvern, but I know we said it a lot <laughs> as we were getting, oh, I'm sorry, I just spit on Jude. Um, I, I was trying to wet that clay. <laughs> um, uh, it, that's, we said a lot when we were getting this building ready. Um, after we moved in, we were like, okay, that'll do, nail it. <laughs> so when you walk around and you see something, you're like, what about, and it was like, oh yeah, they just said nail it. <laughs> they said, that'll do, nail it. God doesn't do that. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, that's close enough. That, that's going to be okay. Now, we say that, and strangely, the evil one says that too. I mean, have you ever had that feeling that, oh, well, I mean, I'm not, I, I know I'm not doing it exactly the way God wants me to do it, but man, I'm doing it better than that guy. I'm doing it better than that person over there. I mean, they are really, really screwed up. I'm doing better than they are, so, you know, that'll do, nail it. In this scenario, in this story, actually, he said, no, that's not going to work, and he actually starts all over. It was not good enough for the potter. You see, clay that is unwilling to be perfectly centered is eventually going to collapse. It's eventually going to tear. We see it all the time. We see it all the time. Um, when someone calls as a last result, uh, 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 last resort, they call a pastor or they call a small group leader and they say something like, my, my life is falling apart. It's ripped apart. It is torn apart. It's falling apart. And usually what happens, what has happened, they were not centered. They weren't centered. They weren't centered on Christ. And things went okay for a while, but as the pressure was applied, eventually things tore apart. That's what happens to clay if it's not perfectly centered. But there's still hope. Because even though it fell apart, the potter was able to make a choice and say, hey, this is not the end. This is not over. I'm not finished yet. Because the potter can take it. He can mash it all back together, and he can begin again. Now, which, by the way, might be a little painful. Might be a little painful to be all mashed back together and begin again. Because you know what? If, if they're going to begin again, they also probably have to take that clay and they have to beat it, beat it against the rock some more to get the air bubbles out and to make it compact and get all the impurities out. They have to really go to work to get it usable once again. And as that's happening, I, I, I could see if that's our life being put back together, we might say, oh, goodness. God, what's going on? Because it feels like things are getting worse. I, I came to you for help. I called for help, and it feels like things 
might be getting worse. To which God might just simply say, hang on. I'm not done. Hang on. The designer still has the possibility in your life, even when he's putting things back together, he still has the possibility to answer those questions in your life. Why are you here? What is your purpose? Who are you? And we might be thinking, but Harley, you, you don't know my story. You have no idea about my story. I, I think that I have blown it, that I, I, my life is too far gone, that I am too bad for him to put it back together again. But I want you to know, the potter can choose to keep working on your life. The potter can choose. Sometimes that lump of clay is perfectly centered. Sometimes our lives are perfectly centered on Christ for a while, for a time. And as the potter presses his hand down into that clay and then begins to bring up that vessel, as he's working that vessel, something sometimes happens. Maybe, maybe no water is added, and it doesn't take long. It just takes seconds, really, in this scenario for that clay to begin to dry out again, even though it's perfectly centered or it was at one time. But as the pressure is added, if no water is continually put into that clay, then it dries out, and once again, it's going to rip, it's going to tear, it's going to collapse. And in our own lives, sometimes there are moments when we are perfectly centered on Christ, but if we don't continue to go to the living water for life, for our guidance, for our direction, for the care of our soul, then we're going to dry out. Even though we were perfectly centered to start with, we're going to dry out and something's going to fail. If the clay doesn't have enough water, it always eventually tears, it rips, it fails every time. But if you just simply continue to add water, if you continue to add water, that clay can be reworked. Once again, it might be painful. Why want to rework too? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing? And once again, we may be asking God, why, why, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? To which he might just simply say, be patient. Just wait. Wait and see. He gets it centered. There's plenty of water. And he presses his hands down into the clay, and he begins to pull them up, and a vessel begins to form. A pot begins to grow. And finally, we begin to see a picture of what the potter is making. Oh, my goodness, that looks like a pitcher. It, it looks like a vase. It, it, I, I'm beginning to see what's happening. Finally, we see a picture coming into our mind of what the potter had in his mind. And if we're the vessel, we might say, that's enough, that's good, that's good. You can stop there now, God. No more pressure, 
Don't apply any more pressure to my life. That's good. Let's stop there. We want to stop there. But he's not done, so more pressure is added, which means more water is needed. You see, only the potter knows where he's going to go with this vessel, and only the potter knows when it's time to stop, when his masterpiece is finished, because the potter has a plan. It's not random. He's got a plan. He's got a design from which he's working. He knows exactly where he's going with the vessel. Just trust him. Trust the potter, to which we might think, ah, Harley. So here we are. Now we're back to this thing called blind faith, right? Is that what we have to have is blind faith? And I would say, no, no, no. That's, that's not it at all, actually. It's not blind faith. Not, not at all. Faith is believing, yes, what you can't see, but we can believe it because of what we can see. The potter might say, just look around. Look around his studio. Look around the potter's shed, and you'll see the work he's already done. You'll see the vessels he's already created. And we can believe that he's going to create another fine vessel because we look around and we see vessels that he has already created. I look around. We don't have to have blind faith. We can have faith in the potter because we can see what he's doing in the lives of other people. And I can look at Case. And I can see God working in his life. And I can see Scott and Laura and God working in your life. And goodness, it's kind of similar to mine because I know what he started with me, and I've heard you tell me what he started with you. And he probably pounded you on the ground some and got out some impurities and got out. And and I can be encouraged by what I see him doing in your life and Chris's life and your lives, and I I can be encouraged in what he's going to do in your lives, in your life. And that, and I look at Joel, and that encourages me because I see the potter at work, and I see the potter at work in Michael and Jacob and every person in this room that I'm getting to know and that I've just met, right? That's not blind faith. I can have faith in the potter because I can see his work in all the vessels around me. Wow. I can trust the potter. You can trust the potter. Because after all, we, we're just clay. We're just clay. We are just lumps of clay. That's it. What makes a difference 
is the potter's hands. We're just the clay. And the potter knows when to stop. And the potter knows what he's doing as he's making his masterpiece. And only the potter knows when he's finished. So let's go back to Jeremiah. He's giving the Hebrews this message, and God has told him to use the potter's shed and what the potter was doing to give the message. So let's go back to what he says to the Israelites. And remember, Paul said, hey, we can pay attention to this and we can learn from them because God can speak to us through that even today. So let's go. Now we're in, let's see, we're in Jeremiah. We're in uh, verse 5 of chapter 18. Then the Lord gave me this message. Now just remember, Jeremiah had just seen the potter build the vessel. Something went wrong. It collapsed. It tore. Something went wrong. And he didn't throw it away. He just pounded it into a new usable piece of clay, all right? He had just seen that. Now, then the Lord said, give, uh, then the Lord gave me this message, verse 6, O Israel, this, so this is a message from God to Israel, can I not do to you as the potter has done to his clay? As clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, verse 11. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. Now, I'm going to spare you any suspense here by letting you know Israel did not turn from their wicked ways and do what was right. They did not become soft clay. They remained just like this, hard, rigid clay. And Jeremiah has been delivering the same message for over 20 years, over and over and over again. And they have remained hard clay the whole time. In desperate need of water, they've remained hard clay. And here's their reply, verse 12. But the people replied, ah, don't waste your breath. Jeremiah, come on, don't waste your breath. We're going to continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own evil desires. They knew they weren't right, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to decide what we want to do. We're going to decide how we're going to use what God has designed, and we're going to use it our way, the way we want to use it. So the questions of who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? I can promise you the world around you wants to answer that question for you, and they want to tell you, hey, look inside. What does your heart say? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Now, let me just give you a heads up. Teenagers, students, that's the worst advice anyone can ever give you for your life to follow your heart. Now, we can listen to our heart and pay attention to our heart and take care of our heart, but you're not going to find Scripture telling you to follow your heart, and here's why. Here's why. 
Jeremiah, just before he goes into the talk about the clay, here's what he has to say about the human heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, he says, and it's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? In other words, our hearts are not filled with God's desires. They're filled with our desires. They're not filled with God's plans. They're filled with our plans. They're not filled with the designer's plans. They're filled with our ideas. He says, who knows how bad it really is? Verse 10, but I, the Lord, I search all the hearts and I examine secret motives. I give people their due rewards according to their actions they deserve. And so when the clay is hardened, the potter can't use it. He can't work it. So he sets it aside. But something happens, though. You know, once clay goes into the fire, once it's fired, that clay can never be worked again. Once it goes into the fire, that clay can never be worked again. Never. It will never become ever soft clay again. And when the potter determines that clay is never usable again, then he takes that, he breaks it, he throws it out, and it lands somewhere in the potter's field. Not the potter's shed, the potter's field. And so Jeremiah goes on with his description, chapter 19, verse 1. This is what the Lord said to me. He said, go and buy a clay jar, so one that's been through the fire. He said, go and buy a clay jar. Then ask some of the leaders of the people and of the priests to follow you. Verse 2, go out through the gate of broken pots. Now, this literally is the potter's field. It's a place where they dug the clay out. And once all the clay that was usable was gone, then that potter's field became kind of a potter's dump. And that's where all the broken pots went. And so he said, go out to this place, outside the city gates to this place. Verse 2, go out through the gate of broken pots to the garbage dump in the valley of Ben-Henman and give them this message. So he's got these important Israel leaders with him, and he buys this pot, takes it with him, goes to this place, and he stops in this area that's called Topheth. Now, Topheth is a very significant area. I'm not going to give you a lot of history. I want you to know this, though. This is just how hard the hearts were of the Israelites. This is amazing to me. This is astounding. Topheth, just outside, exactly where God told Jeremiah to go, this is a place where there were child sacrifices. Child sacrifices. They would sacrifice, they would kill children, Offer them by fire to the god Molech. Please understand, we're talking about Israel. The Israelites were doing this. This was not Egypt. This was not Assyria. This was not Babylon. We're talking about Israelites. This was happening in Israel. And Jeremiah takes this clay pot to this spot, to this place that has become a potter's field dump where all the broken pots are, and here's what happens. Uh, 
chapter 19, verse 4. This is a message from God. For Israel has forsaken me and turned this valley into a place of wickedness, and they have filled this place with the blood of innocent children. Wow. He goes on. Verse 10. God is now speaking to Jeremiah. As these men watch you, so these leaders of Israel, as they watch you and some of the priests, he said, Jeremiah, smash the jar you bought and then say this, verse 11, then say to them, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. As this jar lies shattered, so I will shatter the people of Judah and Jerusalem beyond all hope and repair. You see, ultimately, only the potter gets to decide what the vessel is going to be, what it's going to be used for. Only the, the, the potter has the right to make that choice because he's the designer. He's the creator. And so let me ask you this. What is your purpose? And I would answer that by saying, that's up to the potter. That's up to God. But for your part, to reach that answer, the vessel must remain pliable. It must remain moldable. The vessel must remain soft and responsive to the potter's hands. And only the potter can declare and say when it is finished. And we can rest in this promise. We're almost done. Philippians 1.16. Paul says, and I am certain that God who began a work in you, within you, will continue his work until it is finally on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And I want you to know that statement is true as long as you remain soft and pliable in the potter's hands. And if you remain soft and pliable and moldable in the potter's hands, it's going to require his living water. It's going to require God's Holy Spirit as he's making you and designing you and creating you for a very specific purpose. And we have to look at that designer and look to his plans to answer that question of what is my purpose? And then we simply have to ask this. As we look at the master's plans, at his designs. Here's the question we have to ask. Does that look like me? It's either me or not me. Jacob, pop that picture, that next cue up of our logo. Thank you. That's where we get the name for this series. As we look at the master's plan, as we look at his design, what he intends in your life, then we look at ourselves, we have to say, that is either me or it's not me. 
I added a thumbprint to this design. Because anytime a potter's working with clay, his fingerprints are all over it, right? And we have to ask this question. Or either that's either me or it's not me. His thumbprint, his fingerprints are either all over your life or they're not. Because you can't get any fingerprints on this. Just this. It's either me or it's not me. It's going to be the question for this series. In fact, this week we're just setting up this idea because for the rest of this series, we're going to begin looking at some very specific things, some very specific designs that God has in mind for you, that Jesus has in mind for you. And as we look at those, then we have to answer the question that is either me or not me. We'll begin to unpack that next week. Let's pray. Isaiah called you our father. And he said that we are the clay and that God, our father, you're the potter. And he said, we are formed by your hands. And as Jeremiah spoke to the children of Israel, they replied, they said, don't waste your breath. Don't waste your time. We're just going to simply continue to live as we want to live, stubbornly following our own way. Father, I pray that that is not our answer to you. And I pray that over the course of this series, that God, we will see more and more of your design, of your plan for our lives. And I pray that we will remain soft and pliable and moldable in your hands. And we can trust you because we see you at work in the lives of our friends and family around us. So may we trust you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.